Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is the Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to the Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hi there, and welcome to this edition of The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. I'm Josh Raymond, so glad to have you along with us here on this Wednesday of the 16th week in Ordinary Time, already a full month into summer. I mean, you know, your summer may have began earlier than the official first day of summer on the calendar, but yeah, it's officially one month in here for us. So as we begin the program today, do you find yourself using cliches in your everyday conversations? You know, we all use cliches to some extent. But what are the ones that you find yourself using more than others? Some of those cliches that you and I use, they might just be throwaway phrases, something that you end up saying in response to someone when you don't have anything really meaningful or profound to say. You just throw that little nugget in there. But, you know, there are times when we might say a common phrase that does contain this grain of wisdom or a grain of truth. Something like actions speak louder than words, or if you say better safe than sorry. We have all kinds of these little pithy kind of sayings in our English language. Another common one, when you might have to do something in front of a crowd, make a presentation, maybe you have to speak in public, or if you want to make a good first impression when you're initially meeting someone, then what does a friend or a spouse tell you to do in those situations? Or if somebody else is facing that, what have you told them? Probably the phrase that you've heard is, oh, just be yourself. Just be yourself. Well, of course, you'll be yourself. Who else could you be, right? But what someone really means when they tell you that, when they tell you to just be yourself, is that you shouldn't try and adopt any special behaviors, or you shouldn't try and act in a way that you wouldn't normally act in other situations. Your friend or your family member giving you that advice, they're telling you, I like you just as you are. Other people will like you too. You don't need to go and make some big changes in how you behave, in what you do. Just be yourself. But that might raise a question. Do you know yourself? In the movie The Matrix, Keanu Reeves, he's the character Neo, and he goes to visit a woman identified as the Oracle. And during their short conversation, this woman, the Oracle, she points to a sign over the door that he has just come through. And she points to it, it's a Latin phrase, temet nosce. And she asks Neo if he knows what it means. He says no, and so she she translates it for him. Know thyself. That's what that means. Many of the stories that we love, the different stories in books or in movies, are about characters who go on some sort of journey and discover aspects of who they are, different characteristics or traits that they didn't know that they possessed, And then they use that knowledge of themselves to impact the world around them for the better. That's why they're the hero of the story. In one story, 
Les Miserables by Victor Hugo. We followed this main character of Jean Valjean. He's supposed to be a character who could represent anyone. If the story had been written in English instead of French, the character might have been John Johnson. Uh, Just a bland, typical name that could be you or me or anyone. And Jean Valjean, this character, when we first meet him, he's being released from 19 years that he spent in prison. He was initially imprisoned for five years because he stole a loaf of bread to try and feed his starving family. And then he kept on trying to escape from prison over and over, and his sentence continued to be extended until finally 19 years had passed, and now he's being released on parole. That's the start of this novel. But 19 years in prison has made him hard, it's made him cruel, and he ends up, right as he's out of prison, one of the very first nights, he steals from a local bishop that feeds him, that takes him in, gives him a place to sleep. He steals, and he's caught shortly afterwards. The police bring him back to the bishop so that they can ask if he really did steal these items, if they should take him back to prison. But the bishop has mercy on Valjean, and he says that the stolen items were actually given as a gift. But then after the police have left, then the bishop tells Jean Valjean that he's been given a second chance. The bishop has given him a second chance, but God has given him a second chance, and he should live his life for God. So Jean Valjean, he wrestles with this, but ultimately he does decide to turn his life around. He ends up going into hiding He adopts a new name. He eventually becomes a successful businessman who is generous. He's loved and respected by all the people in his community, a place that they didn't know him before. He ended up coming out of prison. And so now, several years later, he's living that life. But when he went into hiding, he violated his parole. And he he ends up learning these many years later that there is a man who's been captured who looked very similar to him, about the same age, and now he's going to be sentenced for breaking parole as Jean Valjean. Now, the musical adaptation of the novel, this is the point where the character of Jean Valjean sings the song, Who Am I? And he he asks that question. He wrestles back and forth. Do I admit to myself and to others who I really am. He knows that if he comes forward, he'll ruin everything he's done throughout the past years of living a good and upright life. He'll go back to prison, but he knows that he also can't let someone else pay for his crimes. And he finally comes to the decision to no longer hide from his past. And in the song, he says, can I conceal myself forevermore? Pretend I'm not the man I was before. And must my name until I die be no more than an alibi? Must I lie? How can I ever face my fellow men? How can I ever face myself again? My soul belongs to God, I know. I made that bargain long ago. He gave me hope when hope was gone. He gave me strength to journey on. Who am I? Who am I? I'm Jean Valjean. So he's finally ready to be honest about who he is, both to himself and to everyone else. So what about you? Do you know who you are? And are you honest with yourself and with others about who you are? And if you're listening to this program about spiritual direction, how does your relationship with God impact who you are? How does your faith inform your identity? Is it what gives you the main basis for your identity? 
Well, this is what we want to talk about on the show today, knowing who we are as sons and daughters of God. And joining us as our spiritual director for the hour today, helping us dive into this topic, Father Sam Martin. He's a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse. He's the pastor of Holy Name of Jesus Parish in Wausau, Wisconsin. Father Martin, welcome back to The Inner Life. Have you ever read through Les Mis, uh, the, the Victor Hugo novel? I've seen the musical a number of times. Uh, the novel Unabridged is like 1,400 pages. It's a long heard, read. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he goes on tangents about every other page, and it's a lot more about, like, uh, you know, 18th century France than I care to know in terms of, uh, you know, cultural, uh, you know, what the wardrobe was comprised of at that time. Anyway, I, I love the story. It's my favorite musical, and Victor Hugo was um, not really a friend of the Church, but right. God reveals himself to everyone, and uh, he touches upon some of the deepest truths of, of human nature that are, you know, relevant to every human being. Well, and I, I will recommend, Father, if you read nothing else, just read the first, oh, it's probably two or three chapters, because the bishop that Victor Hugo, even though he's not a fan of the Church, the bishop that he writes, that he creates as that character that initially meets Jean Valjean, is such a beautiful character. That by itself is just worth reading those first handful of pages there. So I, I heartily recommend it for you. But uh, oh, that's, uh, He's my favorite, and the song that you quoted is... Uh it, the whole story kind of hinges on that, that uh, in the end it's, it's forgiveness. It's what the bishop does for Jean Valjean that gives him his dignity back. And now he's got to, you know, kind of answer this question, you know, that can I, uh, you know, somehow reject the gift? And he knows. I mean, he, uh, he says, the, the bishop says that I'm a son of God, that how did he know? I mean, how did he, the bishop, uh, how did he see that? I didn't even see it in myself, but many times our dignity is revealed by someone else, and it's a fantastic story. I can't uh, watch the musical without crying, but um, anyway, that's just because I'm an old softy, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as we talk today, Father, about understanding what it does mean to be a child of God, a son or a daughter of God, uh, one of the things that initially came to my mind was whenever we talk about identity, especially here in the U.S., I think so much is wrapped up in what we do rather than necessarily who we are. You know, that's the common question when you meet someone. What do you do? What kind of work do you do? And society, it seems to place this extreme value on the what we do, not so much the who we are. So how do you think that we can, uh, I guess, understand the who we are and not get so focused in that overwhelming way that society seems to be on the what we do? It's the key, and I think that, like a lot of things, we uh, we dance around it because it's hard to uh, even to know ourselves. I mean, I don't know who else could put together, uh, by the way, Matrix and Les Mis and a nice uh, ten-minute intro, but you did it, uh, Josh. So, <laughs> but that uh, that idea, know thyself, which really comes from Socrates, and uh, is is the goal for all of our human life. Saint Augustine, he took it a little further. He said, "Know yourself, accept yourself, improve yourself." And it's the second part that is the hardest, uh, greatest challenge for us, to accept who we are in God's image and likeness. That means with our flaws, acknowledging our limitations, our struggle with, with sin, uh, there, the fact that we can be selfish, we can be full of fear, we can be judgmental, have very small hearts like the Grinch, but, um, but we're not going to improve ourselves so that we can accept ourselves. No, the, the acceptance has to come first uh, before the improvement, and that's what grace and the sacraments uh, the life of virtue, all those things are to accomplish. So uh, the fact that we um, 
we want to look in the mirror and see someone that we can respect, you know, and that can be the hardest person for us to love. And then because we struggle with that, then we're easily manipulated by a world that says that this is who you are. And if you live this way, and here's happiness, and do these things, and this is what makes you popular. And, and we're just led around by the nose because we're not rooted. And I think that we know that. I think we have a sense of that. We feel the, the sadness and the, you know, the, the constantly shifting horizon and that we're built on sand that we just don't feel stable. And, uh, but wherever you go, there you are. So it's the Lord that wants to reveal that to us. And I just wrote uh, on my piece of paper while I was listening, uh, you know, in terms of um, Thomas Edison, he found 10,000 ways that, that don't work in terms of electricity and, uh, and the light bulb. And we'd have to say many of us know, maybe not precisely who we are, but we've learned about who we're not. You know, maybe we've made some mistakes that we try to fit in. We made some compromises and that's where the Lord comes to us. He knows us because he made us, and he made us for himself. And so the woman at the well, uh, Jesus reveals to her, you know, that she, her heart is broken, that she's searched for love and has not found it. Uh, Mary Magdalene, this woman that, you know, seven demons were driven out, that he knows her, does Jesus. And later on he says she loves much because she's been forgiven much. We want to be known and loved. That's a deep human desire. It's fundamental to who we are as, as human beings. And unless that is acknowledged and fulfilled, not perfectly because we're not in heaven, but uh, otherwise we're restless creatures and we just keep trying to put something in there to make the pain go away. But Jean um, Valjean, he, he's you know, back and forth in that song, Who Am I? You know, and Javert, the cop, says, you're just a number. 24601, I think, was his number. And, uh, but he's like, no, that's a reduction. And people do the same when they say, you know, that, uh, you know, they talk about their sexual orientation, that, that I'm gay. Well, I mean, that might be a part of, of a person's experience of being human, but there's so much more to reduce us to one facet of, of who we are. Always seems to me to, to be a kind of a, a trap and one that doesn't really uh, fulfill us in the way that we thought it would because we've been told you know, over and over again that this is what it is to to be happy is what it is to be integrated. So uh, the Catholic Church has a lot to say about these things because she's a mama. She's been on this planet, uh, you know, 20 centuries now, and uh, she's a genius. I mean, I think about a guy like St. John Vianney who heard all those confessions. Once he was asked, well, what did you learn about human nature? You know, all those people coming in, I mean, roughly 100,000 in a given year at its, uh, at its apex, you know, in little town of ours. And he thought about it for a moment. He said this. He said, I've learned that human beings are more sad than they appear to be. And that's probably, you know, uh, very true for most of us. We're told to, you know, get your ducks in a row, make it look good on the surface. But deep down, we might be lonely. We might be discouraged. We might not really like ourselves. We, we're trying to play a part. But, you know, it's like Hawthorne said in his um, The Scarlet Letter, he had, no man can wear two faces to himself without sooner or later losing track of which one's the real face. You know, it, uh, we know that. We can... Right. Play that part, but it doesn't uh, satisfy. So Les Mis, you know, is based on that reality. And uh, The Matrix, well, to some degree, it's a juxtaposition of all sorts of different things. Uh, but certainly the scriptures, you know, this is what Jesus, uh, he wants us to know that, that he made us, that we are the children of God now. What we're to be later has not been revealed. But he says, I call you my friends. He's trying to give us our dignity. He goes to great pains. I mean, he embraces our nature, not our sins, but he came to tell us that you were wonderfully, fearfully made. 
by a perfect being who's my father. And I'm going to teach you to call him your father, too. So our identity, uh, which really in the end, it, it always comes out of our relationships, not out of our mission, not what we do. Uh, and that's something that I think we're trying to get at. But when you're just meeting somebody, it's hard to get into it too deeply. Like, well, who are you? <laughs> well, I mean, can you imagine that, the, well, uh, my name is Sam, and I'm <laughs> second of five kids. And, well, no, who are you really? Well, holy Toledo, I mean, how much time do you have here? I mean, you, do you read souls for a living? What do you want to know? Uh, you know, it, so then we kind of just stay on the surface. Like, well, what do you do? Just safer. And it, it gets, you know, it's a first step in that direction. But we struggle with um, trust, with intimacy, with letting anybody uh, into our heart and soul. And, but as a, a person of faith, I think that we've been given certain tools. And, um, and that can be a, a bridge to other people who don't necessarily have those tools, but they're made by the same God, and they're designed to give and receive love, as all of us are. And I think that's something that, you know, the Church was always seen as a mother, and our faith is kind of the soul of the world, and that soul needs to... Um, to help the body so it can find what it's searching for. Well, and our spiritual director today, Father Sam Martin, here on The Inner Life, and we're talking about understanding our identity as children of God. And if you have a question about understanding your role as a son or daughter of God, you're welcome to call in our studio line, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, our email address, life at relevantradio.com. But as we are talking about the what we do versus who we are, uh, this also does bring up the question of our vocation, where God is calling us into his service. You know, our, our vocation is an aspect of who we are, like you said. You know, if somebody identifies and says, well, who I, who I am— that's, uh, you know, I, I'm gay or, you know, I'm this or I'm that. It's only an aspect of that person's experience. It's not the whole sum of who they are. Uh, so we don't want to ignore our vocation as we're talking about identity in Christ. But again, there's more to it than just vocation. There, there's, there's the whole person that we want to take into account, understanding our role as sons and daughters of Christ, or of, of God the Father, brothers and sisters of Christ. Yeah, I think that it's just so many times uh, we learn a lot about ourselves vicariously through the relationships with others, you know, and that starts, I mean, so much happens when we're little, even in our mother's womb, that we already begin to intuit, I mean, in ways that are not spoken, because we're, we're too, so much is being formed, our brain and our heart, our organs, but we can kind of sense if we're loved, if we're wanted or not, if it's a crisis pregnancy and there's a, a discussion ha- happening outside the womb about whether or not this child is going to be brought to term. I mean, all these things affect us, and uh, all those little things over the course of our lifetime, the Lord will help us to kind of unpack that. that uh, and if sometimes it's a traumatic beginning, God is a healing God, and sometimes we had a, a wonderful beginning, and yet things fall apart later, and uh, it, it, there's no you know, predictor like, well, I was born into a broken family, so there's no chance that I could ever be a good contributing citizen. Not true, not true. And I was born into a wonderful family, and so it's just going to inevitably work out that I'm going to have a beautiful life. That, that's not so simple, but that all of these things always go back to our relationships. And did we know that we were loved? Did we experience that in many ways uh, through our parents, our siblings, grandparents, uh, family, friends, uh, all sorts of things in our community, in our parish, in our school, how we related to our peers on the playground, all these things. I mean, there are so many little ways that we're just very fragile. 
uh, the, the little story about the princess and the pea. You know, she's got all these mattresses, but there's a pea under one of them, and that upsets the whole uh, apple cart, so to speak. And we're that way that, uh, you know, that many times later in life we, we start to wonder why we have a, an issue with anger or unforgiveness or we're quick to judge or we just can't uh, listen to anyone. we just uh, so... Uh, stubborn and stuck in our ways and lots of that stuff kind of goes back to the beginning the end depends upon the beginning and that's where prayer and the sacramental life it helps us to the lord's not afraid uh to kind of sift through that and through that sort of ignatian repetition to to bring out the old and the new he's he's helping us to remember not as the accuser will do the devil loves to bring up our past because he says see it's too late, you're a terrible person, you can't change, it's not even worth it, you think you're special. All, he's the liar, the accuser. He uses our past against us. But that's the beautiful thing about the spiritual life, the sacramental life, is that it opens our past to God, who was there when it happened. He was always with us. He never abandons us, but that's what we fear. Something bad happened to me, Lord, and I feel like you don't care, you weren't there, you you left me alone, you... Obviously, you turned your back, and then that starts to cause this drift, this suspicion of God, this this idea that, I mean, people say that God loves me, and they, they say that I'm a child of God, but I don't think that's true, maybe for others, but not for me. It's a hard thing uh, for us. I mean, I think that most human beings on this planet struggle with uh, their identity, with, you know, this idea of who am I. Uh, you know, we we start to create an image of who we want to be and we try to live and some can sustain it for a long time but after a while we we do get tired and uh we just want someone to love us uh, for who we are and god's the only one that really knows who that is and i know people will say you know these little things be true to yourself and yeah but if you don't know who you are and that god wants to reveal he would tell anybody and everyone uh, if they just asked, that, uh, Lord, help me to know myself and to accept my limits. I think a lot of people, uh, you know, it looks like we've got that taken care of, but uh, I made a 30-day retreat years ago, the uh, spiritual exercise of St. Ignatius, and, and that and all the subsequent spiritual direction, confessions, and so forth, uh, I mean, most people on this planet, uh, in their head, they know that God loves them. But in their heart, they still wonder, and they worry, and they that kind of gets the better of them at times. Me too. Uh, and that's a, a constant tension that we live in, that journey between the head and the heart. Uh, but if we can focus on that and be aware of that and accept that that's just a part of the human condition, yeah. then we can make some headway. We can honestly uh, approach that, well, God loves me. Do I believe that? I want to. And there are little tricks of the trade to kind of dispose our heart so that it can believe in that more and more. Our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin, a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. Today we're talking about understanding our identity as sons and daughters of God. When did you come to an understanding of what it means to be a child of God? For most of us, this is probably something we're in the process of still kind of on the journey, learning and grasping. But how does being a child of God, how does it allow you to impact your relationships, your family and your friends for good? Our studio line right now, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, and we'll continue talking about understanding our role as sons and daughters of God right after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 
Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com slash forester. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Sam Martin. He's a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin, the pastor of Holy Name of Jesus Parish in Wausau, Wisconsin, and today talking about understanding our role as sons and daughters of God, understanding that identity of being a child of God, and how does being a child of God allow you to impact those relationships of your family, your friends, your coworkers, those people in your life? How does being a child of God allow you to impact your world for good? Our studio line is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And uh, we're taking your calls, also taking your emails at innerlife at relevantradio.com. And Father, uh, continuing our conversation, you know, it might be good just to simply talk about what it really does mean to be a child of God. Um, you know, we are brought into the family of God through baptism. You know, that that's the initiation into the family of God. And being sons or daughters of God the Father, we're also then brothers and sisters of Christ. There's that 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 line in the celebration of the Mass where the priest always says that Christ humbled himself to share in our humanity so that we could share in his divinity. Um, can you help us understand what it really does, what, what that means for us to be a child of God? Yeah, whatever it was at the beginning, you know, the original sin that we were damaged, wounded, not destroyed, but sometimes people compare it to like, you know, a transistor radio and the antenna is broke, so God is sending the signal, but we just aren't receiving so baptism restores that, so now we can receive again. And what is the message that God is saying? Is that it's like the, the baptism of the Lord or the transfiguration of Mount Tabor, that this voice was heard, Behold my beloved Son, upon whom my favor rests. That's what we can hear again when we're baptized, that the Father is speaking now to this child, to you and to me and each one of us that have been baptized. He wants to say that to every human being, but sometimes the connection is just not restored. That's what the sacraments do. They they begin to reconcile, to heal, to prepare us for eternal life, this communion that we hope to share forever in heaven. And that was what God wanted to give us from the beginning, but we were in a big hurry, and so we had it our way, and of course that, that was the original sin. But once that's restored, then we can hear that voice to each one of us, you know, that you are my beloved son, my beloved daughter, you are my child, you are mine, I made you, you belong to me, I sent my son to redeem you, I want you, I love you, and this is what we begin to experience from a divine person. It's an overwhelming thing, and it's a bit mysterious. And then we, we start to see that, well, I, baptism doesn't make our life easier. It doesn't assure us that, well, everything's going to go your way and it's going to turn up roses and you always get promoted, you'll be uh, top of the class. And no, it, it doesn't. that's not at all what we're promised. I mean, if anything, it's, we live the model 
it's the ordination rite to model our lives on the mystery of the Lord's cross. Those baptismal promises are to renounce evil and to believe in Jesus, to follow him. And, and he says, if you're going to follow me, then they're going to treat you the way they treated me. Take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. So there's a beautiful quote here from uh, a book about St. Jose Maria, who loved the idea of, of being children of God, the idea of what they call in theology divine filiation, that we are God's children. And uh, this quote that was just before the end of his life, he, he writes that God is my Father, and even though he sends me suffering, he loves me tenderly. And even though that's the case, he wounds me. Jesus suffers to fulfill the most holy will of God. So Jesus is the Son. He's the, the archetype. He's the model for all Christians. He's the one that we're going to become like him in all things, uh, please God by grace. And so Jesus accepts suffering, and I, who also want to fulfill God's will, by following in the footsteps of the Master, Jesus, can I complain if I meet suffering along the way? It is a clear sign of my divine filiation, of being a son or daughter of God, that he's treating me like he treated his son. He permitted his son that, that, Father, let this cup pass, but not my will, your will be done. A baptism with which I am to be baptized how I wish for its fulfillment. So Jesus is the archetype for what we want to be. And he says, Father, I will suffer for them. I will indeed give my life for them. There's nothing, Father, I wouldn't do to save them. And if we're going to be like him, who is the, the great son, uh, the only begotten son of the Father, then there will be suffering. And those who are baptized are given graces that that suffering can soften the hard edges. Uh, they can, that, that suffering can sanctify us. It can really draw us into the suffering of others so we can have a, the gift of empathy. Or, without any faith, without any grace, make us very hard, cynical, bitter, and mean and do whatever we can to get out of it, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. uh, and to always, you know, play the victim, you know, that I don't deserve this, this is unfair. And some of that might be true. But if we want to be a, ch- a child of God, then we're to imitate the one who is his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and him crucified, now, of course, risen. And uh, so baptism configures, and, you know, as we die in baptism, we rise to eternal life. But we don't maybe give enough of... Uh, reflection about the suffering, and, and that's what deepens that relationship. Families suffer. And what forges deeper bonds in family life than the struggles that you go through? I mean, the, my dad was in a bulldozer accident when I was 10, and uh, we didn't know if he'd ever walk again. They had to med flight him to the hospital, and uh, Monday morning when we did kind of our sharing, what happened over the weekend, I went to a little public school, and the teacher said, Sam, huh? how was your weekend? And I started to talk about my dad, and I broke down and started to cry because I was afraid that I, I didn't want to have a life without my dad. And that suffering deepened my love for him and my understanding of his role for me and for my family. So th- those, those moments of suffering in family life and human life in general, given to God, they forge something that otherwise could never exist. Mm. And that's the mystery of love, which is united to the cross in this life, not in the next life. No, that's uh, But for now... There's no real love without suffering. It's the mark of of those who love. So anyway, that's a long answer to your question. No, that's all right. You know, it it made me think also of, as we're talking about being sons and daughters of God, uh, and you're talking about the suffering and and how if we have that faith that even going through that suffering, that God will work in us to soften the hard edges, I think was what the phrase you used there. And it made me think of 
the Beatitudes uh, at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he ends up talking about, blessed are you when you are persecuted. Blessed are you when people revile you and say all kinds of evil things about you. But right before that, right before he talks about being persecuted for the sake of righteousness, he said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And it, it kind of sounds like it's you know somebody who has had those hard edges taken off there, that they can be that peacemaker, they can go out into the world and really bring that peace of Christ. Sometimes, you know, when we are at Mass and you or maybe a deacon who is there at, at you know, the parish will say, Let's, let us show each other a sign of the peace of Christ. And I think what's happening in that moment might be lost on a lot of people, that sharing of peace, that we bring peace not only amongst ourselves as a community, but out into the world. And it's a peace that goes beyond our understanding. It's not the absence of suffering or, or you know, real struggle and, and all sorts of injustice. I mean, that's the world we live in, but that somehow at the foot of the cross, in whatever form it takes, that there can be, St. Therese describes it in her, her dark night at the end of her life as she's dying of tuberculosis, that never did she lose the sense deep down in a place known only to God. And there is a place in our heart and soul that God is utterly jealous about, that he will not let, not even... Satan himself can touch that. There is a part in every human being that no one uh, can compromise. And we can't even give that part away. That belongs to God. And maybe in the end that's enough to save us, to bring us back. But that's where the peace sometimes, it's the only place we find that peace. That Sometimes we're going through Armageddon, you know, that uh, someone is dying of cancer, our family's falling apart, there's uh, something that's just uh, irreconcilable. And yet, we know that this too shall pass. And that's what our... Our world, obviously, that we were shown to be found wanting with the COVID struggles, and all of a sudden we just we thought that peace means that we come up with a solution and we beat this pandemic on its own terms, and we're going to sit back and no one's going to die, not on my watch. And that's not the way of our Lord. He says that all of us, that the grain of wheat will fall to the ground and die. But unless it does, it remains just a grain of wheat. And so we, of course, physically will die, but there are many other little deaths that with God's Grace we can accept with, with faith that a God who knows his way out of the tomb so we don't have to somehow resist and resent and run away at all. No, that we, we accept that um, this is the dying and the rising. And the, the, this is what the Lord always was going to introduce into the world. And yet the world rejected then and does now this idea, but a piece that it's not just, uh, you know, the horizontal thing, which is important, you know, in our parishes, and we miss that, you know, because right now most places are just, uh, I don't know if we just, uh, we, uh, we can't even give the knucks, right? You can't even do the fist pump. You just kind of wave or something. But uh, it's more than just a horizontal, you know, good feeling about community, but it's, uh, it's a piece that Jesus himself and he alone can give, and we can be instruments of that. Uh, and that's what St. Francis was famous, that, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Don't change. I'm not asking you to change the world or change others. Change me. And because he was so docile to what God wanted to do, that look at what one man, uh, with the graces that God gave, what uh, he's able to accomplish. Still influential eight centuries later, and uh, we're still talking about this. Uh, you know, this little poor man from a city, who, when he was questioned about where'd you get all this, he said, "Well, it's in the Gospels." 
I just thought that I would live it. Well, that's still accessible. That's uh, will be as shocking now as it was then if we just had the faith and uh, probably the humility that he had. Really, he was his ability to receive God was closer to that of the Blessed Mother. See, our antennas are still there. They've been repaired by baptism, but we don't receive as much because we're always out doing, doing, doing. And the, the, what was it, the soul of the apostle that talks about the heresy of good works. And we're so busy that we never let God do anything for us and, uh, and to help us and to form us according to what he wants. So um, anyway, those are things that, uh, uh, meditations on that piece that you mentioned that is a part of our, our liturgy. Our spiritual director today is Father Sam Martin, talking about being children of God, how we understand our role as sons and daughters of God, how that impacts us so that we can impact the world around us. And how does this happen for you? How does being that child of God allow you to impact those relationships, your family, your friends, your coworkers, so that you can make a difference in their lives, that you can be that witness that introduces them to Christ? When did you come to an understanding of what it means to be a child of God? Or maybe you have some questions about what it means to be that child of God. Our studio line, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And we're going to talk with uh, some of our callers right after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond, our spiritual director today on the program, Father Sam Martin, a priest in the Diocese of La Crosse, Wisconsin. Today we are talking about being sons and daughters of God, understanding our role in the family of God, what it means to be that child of God, and how do you live that out in your life? How do you live out being a son or a daughter of God? 888-914-9149. That's our studio line, 888 And Father, let's go to the phones. Brian is calling in from Marinette, Wisconsin. Hi, Brian. You're on the air with Father Sam Martin. Hey, how are you doing? Um, I was just calling to see uh, if I could share my story about, you know, how I started uh, just trying to learn more about God and, you know, attending church and just trying to do the right thing now. Um, this all started, you know, just growing up, um, like most people, I hung around, you know, the wrong crowd, not really knowing what I wanted out of life, um, and, you know, I would try to impress the, the wrong people, you know, the same people that supported my drug addictions, the same ones that approved of all my bad decisions, and I felt lost. I never really thought about prayer or going to church. Um, until one day something happened to me, um, I had this, um, I I would say, I I call it spiritual awakening because it really opened my eyes and what had happened was I had collapsed before I had, I was losing my vision very fast and I couldn't even stand up. Um, and all of this happened in front of my parents and my brothers. They've, They've never seen me. 
um, act like this before. Um, and, and it was just this terrible feeling like if I was going to die and, and I was just thinking in my head, you know, like my birthday is tomorrow. I'm so young. I'm, I'm barely going to turn 21. I don't want to go. I, I just didn't want to accept what was going on. I didn't know what was going on, but all I knew was that I was trying to fight to stay conscious. And it was a very scary feeling. And even though it was one of the most scariest moments in my life, I believe that God made it happen because now I understand the importance of religion and the importance of trying to repent and just trying to get right with God. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely made me change my life for the better. It's like a complete 180. Ever since that day, I stopped all of my addictions. I prayed and I prayed. Um, I actually have these two, uh, missionaries that come to my house and they talk about Christ and, you know, they, they've really been a huge help to me. And I, I think I owe it to, to, you know, people just, just being there for each other and, at the end of the day, God is the one that, you know, sends these people to your lives to make these types of changes, and I'm just very grateful. We are too, Brian. It's a beautiful witness, you know, that how God uh, is always working, and he, he's, his timing is, is unique for each person, And but you were ready at that time, and you've responded, you know, with real faith, and uh, there's so many stories. I mean, if people want to look up a website, it's called I Am Second. I think it's probably the evangelicals, but it's a whole bunch of people that have had just these spiritual awakenings, like you described, Brian, in different ways. I mean, the one that I used to use as a, a nice witness was this guy, Brian Walsh, who was the bassist for this uh, heavy metal band called Corn, Corn with a K and a backwards R. Anyway, um, he just, you know, was deep into a, a disordered life, and then he experienced the Father's love. And it was so moving for him that that God is a father and he loves me as a as his son as his child that he cares for me and every human being has a deep desire to be loved by a father and a mother uh, by a parent someone who understands us and and knows that we're a child and we're always a child we get older and uh and maybe we grow in some wisdom but we never somehow you know leave behind that idea that to God we're his children he sees us that way because that's what we are and uh, to recognize that is uh, not to need all those other things to to live in this world and to make sense of it. Those things, uh, they don't have the, the grip on us as they once did. So, Brian, I'm grateful to God for what he's done for you, and I hope and pray that you're con- able to continue that. You know, the conversion has a beginning, really no end, and uh, it's sustained by prayer and for us as Catholics, the sacraments. And whatever we've received as gift... Now we're supposed to give us gift, and I think that's probably what uh, inspired you to call in today, Brian, and we're all better for it, so God bless you. Yeah, thanks for calling in, Brian. And Father, as you're talking there in response to Brian, you know, the comment you've made now a couple of times, we all have this deep desire to be known and to be loved. And you're saying, you know, we all want to have that relationship with a father, a mother, some parent figure here on earth— but then also having that, you know, inform us about how we look at God as our Father. But if we've had a difficult relationship with our parents here on earth, maybe there was abuse, maybe there was neglect, maybe my father was just completely absent from my life, 
How do you recommend moving past what might be kind of a warped view just because of my own personal experience? How do we move past that and have a true understanding of what the God, God the Father is really like, how his fatherhood is revealed to us? It's a huge step to be aware of it, always, you know. So that's why the Church prays, because prayer opens uh, the world to these graces that will help us to come to our senses. Sometimes we are kind of asleep at the wheel. Brian would describe in his own life that he just wasn't aware of the things he didn't know, but all of a sudden he started to see things himself, his life differently, and so the Church is a praying church. Uh, uh, But once we become aware of these things, then uh, there, there would be many, many people that God will send in different ways. This is why Mother Teresa always said that the first way of proclaiming the gospel is with a smile, is to see people, to be aware of them. And that kind of disarms people because, why are you smiling at me? Why are you kind to me? And sometimes people have an edge, they're suspicious, they, they've been hurt, so they have that kind of defensive, uh, you know, skin, if you will, a, kind of a, a, it's a protective mechanism that they've developed just to handle life. But uh, many times it's just people that are good and they see the good in us and they, they make us want to be a better person. They draw something out of us that, and the hurt is still there. That's going to take time. I mean, whatever it is about healing, God first has to get us to kind of let down our, our guard a little bit. And that can be a slow process, but God's not in a hurry. So I just think of all the people in my life that were vulnerable, that they kind of opened their heart, they just shared their pain, and then you feel like, why am I hiding mine? You know, why do I pretend I'm something I'm not? Why do I keep just compartmentalizing it and you just fake it till we make it, this sort of thing? And so this is where the church is invited that, that there's a time and a place that the Lord might ask us to be vulnerable, to kind of share our story and, and what Brian just did, for example. Because then there are others who are like, gosh, I thought I was the only one. You know, and, and I, Jennifer um, Fulweiler tells this story about this, uh, you know, this guy that called her, and she was in college, she was an atheist, her, all her friends were, and, and uh, so she put him on speakerphone to have a little fun. He was a, sal- a salesman selling, like, vacuum cleaners, and she said, I don't, uh, can't buy one because it's against my religion. And he's like, well, what religion? She said, I'm a Christian. He's like, oh, and then he starts gushing. It's all, he doesn't know that he's being laughed at and scoffed at and so forth. And then he gets to the point, he said, well, yeah, I just love to share my faith because it's a lonely life. Sometimes it feels like there aren't many believers, and anyway, ten years ago, I I was an alcoholic, and my wife had packed up the kids and left, and I was at the bottom. I was at the end of my rope, and I started to pray to Jesus. And by this point, he's crying, sharing this in front of, like, you know, 15 teenage uh, college-age girls. And, and then he says, I just, the Lord saved me. And he gave a peace that I never had known before. And I, I just, sometimes it's nice to share it with someone else who, who knows what that peace is like. And Jennifer said she was listening to the whole thing. And she said she had never experienced, she didn't know what that peace was. But right then and there, she decided that someday I want to find that. She's a Catholic now, and it came in some part from this man uh, out of his own brokenness. And it, we all have it, you know, it's just, uh, but we're not allowed to share with anybody because, oh my gosh, it, it, you're not supposed to have any problems. Well, what I found is that as a priest, I don't share all my sadness with people, but I have to be vulnerable enough to them so that they can come to me. I tell them, I, I go to confession. I, there's a good priest just across the river here, Father Albert, and he always gives such beautiful, he just says, you know, Jesus loves you very much. Do you know that? He wants you to be a good priest. He'll help you to be a good priest, but he really cares about you. And it's just so simple, but sometimes we need to hear that. 
and we need someone to to say that to us and and we then as we receive we can give that to others so uh yeah if somebody has a warped idea you're in good company yeah. <laughs> that's most of us and uh and there's uh, a way forward and god will help us if uh, we're willing to do our part Father, let's go back to the phones. Uh, Rachel's listening to us in Georgia. Rachel, really short on time here, but wanted to get you on before the end of the program. Welcome to The Inner Life. Hi, thank you. I just wanted to quickly share my story, um, especially for younger people out there. I'm 26 years old, and in college, I've been a cradle Catholic my whole life. And growing up, I, you know, was fell into this gender confusion that's happening in the world right now amongst especially younger people. I was just always athletic and uh, liked outdoors and people really hooked on to that and, you know, said, you act like a boy and all these things just maybe because I like to throw the football around. Um, But then in college, I started to sort of believe them um, and I fell into very sinful life. I was in a relationship with two girls sexually involved with them, and I started to pursue this. I even called my sister one day and told her, I think, I, I think I'm gay, and I think I've always been. Um, but during this time in college, I had my husband, who is my now husband, sorry, I gave away the story. Um, he was always my really close friend, and we would pray together, and he didn't know about these other relationships I had. And let me tell you, he, sorry, I might cry here. He pursued me and he prayed with me and he prayed for me. And one day we sat down and he told me, you know, I'm never more of a man than when I'm with you. And you are never more of a woman than you are when you're with me. And I need to marry you, please. And I told him, about our relationship, my relationships that I've had with females, and I thought that would end his pursuit of me. And he just told me he loved me and that we would work on things, and he continued to pursue me after that. Then I felt this freedom that he loved me and all these things that I was hiding, that I, the devil was keeping me in the darkness. Rachel, I'm going to jump in here just because we are at the very end of our program. I'm so glad you called in and shared your story to encourage others. And Father, as we are at the end of the hour, could I ask you to offer a very quick blessing for Rachel and all the other listeners out there? Almighty God bless each and every one of you, convincing you that you are worth his love. He gave it as a gift. May he bless you now and forever, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Sam Martin, our spiritual director. And if you missed any part of the earlier portion of the program, of course, you can go back and listen to the podcast. Stay tuned. We have Mass that's coming up next. Father Mark Malezova is our celebrant. And tomorrow we're going to be talking about Mary Magdalene. It's the Feast of Mary Magdalene, and that's going to be our conversation. What does she have to tell us now, 2,000 years later? It's going to be a great conversation. We'll talk with you tomorrow here on The Inner Life.